This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Lily Chai. I'm here with Amanda Kua, a 21-year-old who started her startup Backscoop two years ago, and she is based in the Philippines. So Backscoop is a newsletter startup that brings updated tech and business stories in Southeast Asia to its subscribers. So I'm here to explore how Amanda navigated through getting funding with VCs in the Philippines and how to overcome imposter syndrome and what it is like navigating through the startup world as young as 19 years old when she first started. So welcome to the show, Amanda. Hi, Lily. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for listening for anyone who's already tuning in. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure to have you here. Now, talk to me about yourself, right? So before you founded your own startup, you were an intern at a startup. So tell us what made you interested in the whole startup space. Right. So I think in 2020, that's really where the story starts. So I had just graduated high school. And as everybody knows, the pandemic happened. And obviously that year I was supposed to go to university, but because it was the first year of COVID and as somebody who really likes learning, really for the sake of learning, I felt like going to school online would just mean I'm wasting my time and not really learning as as much as I was supposed to. So I decided to take a gap year, take the year off and just figure out what I could do. I really didn't know what I would do. I just knew that I wanted to find something that would be meaningful Most of my friends went to university and I was really just scrambling, trying to find something to do because during COVID, there are really a lot more limitations um, about what we could find out about opportunities. I discovered after a bit of self-reflection that I wanted to get into tech and startups. It took about like one to two months for me to get to that realization. Then I asked myself, "How, how could I get started? So I tried to learn how to code on my own through online courses and I was really struggling. But I was very lucky to come across a piece of news about a startup here in the Philippines that had just raised money from an angel investor in the U.S., um, Justin Mateen, the co-founder of Kinder. Um, Mind you, the ecosystem here was very early. So something like that was actually very remarkable. So I had to know, like, what was the startup anyway? So I immediately clicked on the article. It turns out that that startup was teaching people to code in 12 weeks. So it was a coding bootcamp. And I thought, well, I'm already learning how to code. That's the way I wanted to get into the startup ecosystem because I wanted to get maybe a job. I decided to take the opportunity and apply to the school. And the startup accepted me into their coding bootcamp classes. And I tried to learn to code for about a month. And it was the first time I'd really struggled academically. So I decided to, you know, stop learning to code. I took it as a sign that maybe my skills are better in some other field, um, but still in startups. So I reached out to the founders and they said, well, if you want to leave and you have nothing else to do, do you want to join the startup as an intern? Mm. And I had been already looking for some opportunity for a while, right? And I saw that, you know, there are barely any internships that would want to hire me. There were just less opportunities in general. So I decided to just take it, right? Um, I didn't know what I was signing up for. I just knew I would get an internship and I was happy with that. Fast forward one year and maybe two months later, I had been there for a while and had already started to manage a lot of things, Mm -hmm. like manage about 200 students from their admissions process to their concerns in the the coding bootcamp up until helping them get hired. So 200 students passed through me. I had also done like B2B sales for the first time. 
from zero company partners, I was able to close about 130, 140. And the last thing I did was really learn growth and marketing, learning how to do copywriting. So I think those are the three main functions. And after that one year, I was really amazed about, you know, what I could do. Because just a year before that, I was an intern who literally had zero like work-related skills and really pretty much zero job experience. But after that one year, I feel like I was actually doing the job of like two to three people who would typically be over my age. So I think that was a really formative experience for me and really developed my confidence that I could learn anything and that I could actually build my own career even without um, having gone to college at the time. Hmm. Right. That that is really interesting. But what made you interested, or what inspired you, or more so, who inspired you to want to learn how to code at the first place? What interested you in tech in general? Yeah. So I mentioned that. Remember that I just wanted it to be meaningful for me. Mm. I wanted it to be a valuable skill, and I wanted it to be something I enjoy. I really spent time in self reflection. So actually, I structured my week into different schedules. Certain days, I would learn Coursera courses on XYZ topics. I learned everything from like finance stuff to coding to like social enterprises. And then other times, I would spend um, scheduled to read books on certain topics as well across different fields. Apart from that, I also had time scheduled to look for people in industries I was interested in and reach out to them and speak with them. So during those like one to two months, I came to the conclusion that I like building things. Mm -hmm. I want to know how to create a company. I want to know how to create a solution that impacts people in a positive way. And when I narrowed that down, I realized I wanted something related to technology because I felt that that might be the most efficient Mm -hmm. solution to, you know, problems people are facing. So I really narrowed it down. It was not like something that came to me all at once. It was more of a system where I really tried to explore all the fields I was interested in and slowly narrow down. And and to me, that just sounded like a startup. Hmm. So there, that's how I got into it. Then once I got to that conclusion, I tried to find a way to get into the tech industry. And, you know, here I am. (laughs) I feel very lucky that I saw that news article. And I think that really brought me to where I am today. Because if I never saw that news article, I'd probably still be like a bum. (laughs) (laughs) Or I had gone to college by now. Yeah, so it's kind of like a serendipitous discovery, right? So um, let's talk about your your startup, right? So you started Backscoop in 2021, and you were just 19 years old then. So Backscoop, again, is a newsletter with up-to-date tech and business news uh, in Southeast Asia and it's free as well for your subscribers. So why was this right? The newsletter business model something that you wanted to do? What was the gap that you were trying to bridge? Okay, I think first thing is newsletter model. So I had always been a big reader. I feel like my fondest memories of my childhood were really reading. I'd read like a stack of books a week. And that carried on throughout the rest of my, you know, very short life. Like the last two years of high school, I mostly spent mornings really reading things like The Economist, The New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal, you know, before classes, like on the way to school. And I typically arrive early, so I'd read it. And I discovered newsletters as well in that period in my like last two years of high school. And during the pandemic, I was constantly reading newsletters. I actually subscribed to even more pandemic because I spent so much time at home. Um, and I wanted more things to read and I wanted things that were very specific to my interests. 
and I wanted to read more content from the people I respected and followed. So I read the New York Times newsletter for about three years by that time. I was also reading Morning Brew for about three years. Very similar to Back to Scoop, actually, but they're focused on world news and business news, Hmm. mostly U.S.-based. So I had always been a big newsletter fan, and I saw how much value it brought to me because they were always concise. They always showed me exactly the information I wanted and needed. Um, Apart from that, why did I see a gap in the market? It was because of that job as well. So I had worked there for about a year and a month. I think everyone can relate when you have a new job and when you're new in an industry, you always feel like you have a chip on your shoulder. You need to know like everything that's happening. You have to catch up. You feel like you're behind in terms of what you know. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly how I felt, especially because I was a lot younger than everybody else. I was like the youngest person among everybody I would meet in that job. And what I would do is I would read all this, like all the tech media sites from Southeast Asia, from Asia and from the U.S. Just trying to read up on like, what do I need to know? What are the things people talk about? Um, who are the interesting startups? What, what information can I use um, to help me in my job? So, for example, I'd read a lot of news just to converse with my clients or to converse with other people in the tech industry. So I could feel like I fit in um, and have like better business conversations. And also because I wanted to know more about startups so I could find them as clients and sell to them. And because I understand them, I'd actually know what to say and I'd be able to help them and get to close that deal. So I had a problem with that because I was going through so many sites every day and I would refresh them each multiple times a day trying to read every article and sometimes articles are too long, too short, too little information or didn't give me the information I needed. It was just a hassle, right? It was just not convenient at all, especially in terms of looking at Southeast Asian tech news. Hmm. So for context, like a lot of my clients are based in Southeast Asia, but I'd have to sift through all of the news sites to find any article in Southeast Asia. I'd have to, but I'd have to skip the one about China, Japan, Korea, because I know my main clients are in Southeast Asia. So I thought, you know, I wish there was one site that had only Southeast Asian tech news so that I wouldn't have to go sifting through all the articles on every single website. And then I also thought, um, why can't the articles be better and have the information I need? So I don't have to read five articles. I don't have to check the company website. So it was really because I was frustrated Hmm. with the quality of the, the journalism, I guess, because it wasn't really fitting for me. In my context, I was frustrated that I have to go through so many sites, refresh them multiple times. And I always felt like I was still missing out on some news. And because I'm writing it, I could control the level of journalism. I could make it actually understandable with just exactly the information I need or other people need. So I left my job. And one month later, I launched the website and started releasing the newsletter once a week. So you were the one who started everything from writing to editing to compiling all the news information. Until now, are you still writing the news? I was doing it. So that was August 2021. Mm. It was just me up until like January this year. Mm. So over a year, I was the only one writing all the newsletter articles, posting every single thing on social media, replying to every single email. Um... It's an effort. I mean, by January, I had been writing it four times a week already. So I would write every single day. 
Right. It sounds super <laughs> time-consuming. That's one. It, it takes a lot of your energy because you need to read from different sources, right? And another thing is you have to do the marketing as well to get subscribers. And tell me, how was it like for the first few months? I guess trying to get subscribers. Can you get people to subscribe to your newsletter? I think everything was really hard in general. I think the beginning it felt hard, like the first few months, but it just got harder, you know. <laughs> so in the first few months, I mean, I was only writing like once or twice a week because I was only sending out the newsletter once or twice a week. Um, but it already felt difficult. I started getting my first subscribers by just sending the website to my family and friends and said, like, I have a new project, not project, actually. From the beginning, I think I said it was a new company or a new newsletter. I didn't say projects. I took I took it very seriously. So I sent it to all my relatives, all my old coworkers, who frankly were not that many because we were still a small startup. All of my clients before, because I knew they're into tech, I sent it to them. But here's the key thing: I sent it to all my Facebook friends. In the Philippines, Facebook is huge, so I had like two thousand. Facebook friends from like random places. I don't think we're even friends, right? See somebody at like one event or a friend of a friend and you're your Facebook friends. But that meant I had like 2,000 people who could possibly subscribe. So I messaged every single one of them. It took me like a week to do that. Hmm. And a lot of people thought it was spam or I got hacked. And I was like, no, no, no. I have this <laughs> new thing now. Can you please subscribe? That felt hard, right? Because... I feel like when you start something new, you're always shy to tell people that you're close to, especially like friends of friends. I feel like those are the most judgmental sounding people in your mind. <laughs> so I think getting over that helped me um, build a little bit of my confidence in talking to strangers and pitching back scoop. And then once I finished messaging all my Facebook friends, I really had to figure out how else am I going to get all the other subscribers. Mm. But Thankfully, after I had amassed like about 1,500 subscribers in the first few months, but after I hit 1,000 something, people started to refer back to. So even though there's this auntie who's like unrelated to neck in every way, she has this niece or this daughter or this son who actually is into tech. And then she'd be like, hey, I'm subscribed to this newsletter. Why don't you subscribe to mm -hmm. it? Because you're into tech. So I think that auntie effect really helped me a lot because <laughs> a lot of aunties are subscribed to my newsletter because even my parents who frankly were like, are you sure you don't want to go to school yet? And don't you just want to start a newsletter? Like they, they were kind of unsure, mm. but they were very supportive that they shared it to all their auntie and uncle friends who shared it to all their <laughs> nephews, nieces, granddaughters. I'm glad that I had the auntie effect help me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they are the, the, per, the, the people that can create the most ripple effect, right? When something is good, right. we spread the news. Exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> this is a very cute uh, incident for you. I guess th this is important, especially when, when starting something, right? You want people to know that you shouldn't be shy, especially among your friends and family, although they can be the most critical, I guess. <laughs> but um, I do want to talk yeah. about your experience uh, in talking to VCs, getting funding and things like that. But it's time for us to head into some messages. I'm here with Amanda Kua. She's 21 years old who started her startup uh, Backscoop, which is a newsletter uh, with updated tech and business news based in the Philippines. I'm talking to her about getting funding from VCs in the Philippines and how to overcome imposter syndrome and things like that here on BFM 89.9. So do stay with us. Benchmark for Managers, BFM 89.9.
Welcome back. You're listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm Lily Chai. I'm here with Amanda Kuwa. She is a 21-year-old who started her startup two years ago. Uh, her startup is called Backscoop, which is a newsletter startup uh, that brings updated tech and business news uh, in Southeast Asia to its subscribers, and she is based in the Philippines. So I want to talk to you about a very interesting uh, LinkedIn post that you posted a few weeks ago about you uh, bootstrapping your startup, right? That's what you said earlier. And you only went on to talk to VCs for funding later on. So can you talk to us about, you know, how newsletters like you earn a profit, especially when your your business model is still free, right? It's free subscription based. And where do you usually spend your money on? Yeah, totally. So about the VC experience, I can share a bit about that. When I started Backscoop, I had a bit of savings for my first job. I really emphasize a bit because I was an entry-level person. I didn't have that much of savings, but it was enough um, to get Backscoop started and, you know, pay for really basic things. Like mm-hmm. Pay for the email service provider that sends out the newsletter, pay for the website every month. And pretty much that, like, if I had to go down to the bare bones of that, I could survive and just keep sending out the newsletter alone. Obviously, I'm grateful my parents provide me food and shelter so apart from that I, I was fine right i just had to pay for the esp and the uh, website obviously a few other things related to that if you want to start a newsletter company you have to buy um, a business registration you have to buy the web domain so yeah i bootstrapped the business because i felt like i could survive on a very small amount anyway to start because the fact of the matter is like, I didn't even know if people would like the newsletter. Maybe I had to build something else. So I didn't want to spend too much initially. First few things I spent on, as I said, with email service provider, the website mm. and paying for someone to make the website. That's just because I am really bad with code, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but those are just the main things that you need when you're starting a website. So based on that estimate, I had enough money to survive for like a year or two years, mm. assuming like the newsletter, well, wasn't making a profit. But after like three months, I'd figured out that Backscoop was actually working. We had like two, three, four thousand subscribers at the time. I was like, okay, I think I have to invest more in this newsletter. So I had to buy a few more things. Like how can I use other tools to help me make my operations more efficient? Because I'm doing this alone. Then I started thinking, okay, well, I think it's still fine if I bootstrap it. But at this point, I was like, maybe sometime in the future, I could raise some money, but not now. But I realized that, okay, maybe I need to speak to investors. Like I have to learn how to talk to them. Because to me, like investors were these big, scary people. Mm. Uh, Most of them are men who are much older, much more experienced than me. So it's very intimidating. So I decided that I wanted to speak to investors. So I asked a few subscribers who were VCs and well, actually, no, let's start with the first call. <laughs> so first call with the VC, I actually, actually like totally bombed it. It was so bad. I didn't even know how to introduce myself. Like I didn't think being somebody who's a high school graduate was very appealing, but do I also just not mention it? I mean, I think my face <laughs> would give it away. So I had like a lot of that dilemma, even from the onset, like how do I introduce myself? And then later on, you know, I had a hard time pitching back scoop. Like how do I make it sound appealing to an investor? To me, it's like a newsletter. But it's free. Mm. Like what would make them want to put a lot of money in it? So I got really nervous. And the first call really taught me that I had to learn how to talk to an investor seriously. So I got a book um, after that first call. I think it's called How to Fundraise. And I really read the book 
cover to cover. And then I said, okay, in my next call, I will implement this. <laughs> Second call was a bit better, but I think I was still very, very nervous. I had already introduced myself pretty well, but then the introducing task still needed a little bit of work. So I went back to the book. Third call at the VC actually went very well. Hmm. Um, I had probably shaped up by then. And they actually told me, why don't they get on a second call next week? And I was like, oh God, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> after, that, after that got scheduled, I was like, maybe I have to seriously start thinking about this thing. Hmm. And I thought, what would the benefit be to me if I raise some money? If I raise some money, then I wouldn't have to worry about running out of money in case my expenses suddenly increase. Like maybe I wanted to invest more in tools to grow the newsletter, as I said earlier. Uh, maybe I wanted to hire a writer. After the second call, I realized that I liked the investor. And I saw the benefit of raising money. And I think those are two key things. Apart from seeing the benefit of money for your business, you also have to like the investor and see that they're valuable to, to your company. And because those two things were checked, I decided to, to get the investment. How many subscribers do you have now after two years of running your business? I'd say we're a bit close to 12K right now. Mm. And how, how do you actually make a profit out of a newsletter like that when it's free? So I think there are different newsletter models, right? There are free newsletters and there are paid newsletters, mm. right? Um, you're under the free model. So for us, in this specific basket of newsletter, we make money through advertisements right now. And that's just to start. So I think the thing that people ask us about first was really, can we advertise in your newsletter? Mm. And we thought that might be the most viable thing to start with as well. Mm. And every newsletter, free or paid, will have different strategies. I think other free newsletters offer some service on the side. Mm. But for us, free newsletter advertising is the only way we make money for now. Mm. Okay. So what are some of the tips that you can give to entrepreneurs out there who want to talk to VCs, right? What are, I guess, the most effective ways to pitch their business? Okay, I think what would be useful and what was the most useful for me was really practice and preparation. So one thing is having that book. I think it was Brian Breslow's fundraising book. I think that book was really crucial to me. And more importantly, I think it was practice, right? It took me a while to really get used to it. And even after that third call, I think I still had room for improvement. So I think it's important to continuously practice, not just in VCs, but maybe you can even pitch to your friends or other founders and ask them for advice. Your business is also ever evolving. So you should also constantly practice how to pitch and how to speak with fund VCs. And apart from that, I think the most important thing is not just focusing on the fundraising. It's really focusing on what, like what is appealing to an investor. I think what's appealing to an investor is a good business solving a real problem. So if you have strong metrics and if you're really solving a real problem then continue doing that and if you don't feel like your business is strong right now, I think you should just double down on focus on how you can make it stronger so that when you do pitch to an investor, you're in a better light as well. I think what was beneficial for Backscoop is that we were growing pretty fast at the time. And that was really interesting to the investors. And I think I could also articulate I was solving a real problem because I feel like um, at the end of the first few calls, I realized my problem was that I couldn't really articulate the problem. I was just talking about what's the newsletter, what's Backscoop, what could we do in the future? But I was actually mentioning the problem and the opportunity. And apart from that, I also connected my personal background. So before, I think I was ashamed of my background. Mm -hmm. But then I think what helped was really being honest about who I am, my journey, and how does that connect to the business? Because I think you also have to fit the sort of business that you're in. I think those are the most important things for me. 
Um, I always try to go back to it every once in a while right. and focusing on what really matters, uh, solving a real problem and um, building your traction and building your business. Hmm. Okay, let's move on to talk about imposter syndrome, right? Uh, again, in, in an article by The Independent UK, they do say that women are more likely to suffer imposter syndrome at work as compared to their male counterparts. So are you going through the same thing and how do you overcome it? Yeah, I think I feel like an imposter every day, like literally answering the first, the other questions you ask. Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, should I answer something else? <laughs> so I think, I think it just shows. I think especially interviews, I feel that way. So where does it manifest the most? I think, yeah, in these interviews. And I think when I interact, especially with new people and people I respect and look up to. So I am more of an introvert. So when I go to a networking event, sometimes I get more self-conscious. Right. especially because of I think the the age that I also in mm. I don't think I feel like I fit in sometimes I think I stick out for example like even the outfits I wear I don't think I just like the other people because they're like much older than me um my face also gives away my age and I think I also just have a different background as well right like I didn't really go to I didn't go to college not because I don't like school it's just that my circumstances meant that I would have to, you know, I'd focus on basketball instead of going to college. And I think all those factors combined make me feel like an imposter. And even sometimes on the day to day, right? I think, especially when you're doing something difficult, you feel like an imposter all the time mm-hmm. because you always ask yourself questions like, oh, would I have solved this problem earlier if I had been smarter or if I had been more experienced? if I, you know, had better skills. And I think those questions really come to you every day as well. So I think that is a big challenge for me. And it's a different kind of imposter syndrome when you meet other people and when you're in, when you're in interviews versus when you're just feeling like an imposter when you're sitting alone. Hmm. So I don't think it ever leaves, but I think you face it in a better way over time. Right. So you did touch about, you know, your age, right? You know, being young. I guess as women, there are always like two ends of the discrimination. When we are in our 20s, many stories about, you know, females, when they are younger, they are labeled as quote-unquote too young to understand things. And when we get older, the other end of ageism actually kicks in. So as a 21-year-old running a startup, Right. There are there, you know, what what are some of the other things besides imposter syndrome that you need to overcome when it comes to your age? I think in terms of age, I've never felt discriminated by other people um, at all. If anything, I feel like it makes them more supportive of me. And maybe those are just the people around me. I'm really lucky to have them um, and be lucky to be in an ecosystem where they're now very supportive of me. So on that end, I don't think there's any problem externally about my age. I think it's more of an internal problem and a situational problem, right? For example, for me, I'm, I started the company at 19, now I'm 21. I think a feeling like I don't fit in. I think that's a challenge that I have because, you know, where are my peers? My peers are in school. Um, a lot of my friends are still, you know, in university and then we all live totally different lives. I think as people, we always try to see like, who are the people like us? And are there people like me where I am? And I think that feeling of being out of place used to affect me a lot more when I was getting started because I, it, it made me feel sort of abnormal. Hmm. But I think over time, I've been to accept, you know, this is, this is just my path in life. And the age is just one part of me. 
And sure, there aren't a lot of people who are like me, but it doesn't make me any better or worse than other people. But I think, you know, it was a challenge at the start, but really more in the personal and because I think it's also very difficult to try to adjust into adulthood um, so quickly. Because hmm. I feel like I just skipped like four years and it's like, I didn't even feel like I had my early career period. I think I just skipped everything and just landed here where my new peers are all like much older than me mm-hmm. and much more experienced. So it is a challenge, but I think it makes you want to rise to the occasion as well. Right. So, you know, it has its pros and cons. <laughs> I guess carving your own path, knowing that this is your path and it's not up for comparison. And, and one thing is a lot of entrepreneurs, they only start their own business when they're 40 or 30 and things like that, right? It doesn't define anything, doesn't define the success in any way. Um, I guess what is the overarching goal that you want to achieve in the long run, right? Do you want to stay in the startup space for a long time? Do you see yourself staying in this space for a long time? Or are you planning to go to school, go back to school anytime soon? Right. I think on the decision to go to school or not, um, I get that question quite a lot as well. I feel like that's the only part of the ageism I feel. Um, but on, on my end, I feel like it was just this, um, what are the opportunities in front of me mm. and how can I make the most out of them? And I felt like the best way to make the most of my opportunity, which I'm very grateful to have. I don't think a lot of people are able to be presented with the opportunities that I get. Um, like I was able to just magically land an internship by seeing a news article. Then I stumble upon this idea to, to start Backscoop. Mm. I think I was very lucky to have chanced upon those opportunities and have thought of those things. So I think the best way would be to make the most of those opportunities. And I think that requires focus. So I decided that I'll just go all in into building this. So I have no regrets and I can make the most of this opportunity. And that means foregoing college for the meantime or even forever. I don't know where, where life will take me, but my take is that I would want to really stay in the ecosystem. I really love, you know, build the, building process I love the people around me um I love the business that I'm building and you know let's say years onwards I think I'd still really enjoy uh, the process of building a business so I, I do see myself staying in this space all right. This has been a very insightful conversation, Amanda. Uh, I've been speaking to Amanda Kua. She is a 21-year-old who started her startup Backscoop, which is a newsletter startup that brings updated tech and business stories in Southeast Asia to its subscribers. And it's free, right? So Amanda, where can they find you if they want to? Yeah, I mean, if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, again, it's free. It's on www.backscoop.com, like back, like your back and scoop, like ice cream scoop. <laughs> and then .com. So www.backscoop.com. And then you can probably find me on LinkedIn. Um, That's probably where I'm the most active. And yeah, I think those are the best ways to connect. Connecting with me on LinkedIn or maybe listening to our podcast. So we released a podcast in January called One More Scoop. You can find it on basically any podcasting platform you listen to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are the best ways to find me and follow what I'm doing. Right. Thank you so much, Amanda, for spending time with me today. Yeah, thank you so much, Lee. I really appreciate your questions and thank you for spending time with me today too. Likewise, if you miss any part of this conversation, of course, you can go ahead on our website at bfm.my or the BFM app that is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play to listen to the full conversation. I'm Lily Chai and this has been Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9. been 
listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.